Welcome to Nugent News Network. Um, I'm going to cover some of our contemporary news today, including yesterday's trip. And one thought that occurred to me is the individual has gained too much power in our society. Now let me expand upon that. It just occurred to me that the, there's two individuals who have thrown the whole country into chaos and turmoil. Now, depending on how you look at George Floyd, it might be two people, but certainly George Floyd's death and the officer whose name escapes me, who was responsible for that death, threw this country into riots and turmoil. It's the same kind of thing as when Hey, there's the only thing this has in common is when James Earl Ray uh, assassinated King. Now, there are those who say there were more people involved with that, too. And I have no clue. But uh, the reality of it is that he burned down America. You know, the riots were because of him. And that was a public figure back then. But George Floyd was not a public figure at all until... He became a martyr for the cause of social justice. Now, this gunman in Texas, same thing. You know, one individual throws the whole country into a disastrous tizzy. Now, you're going to hear some TV in the background here. But you don't come here for production values. And if you do, you came to the wrong place. Come on, you you know I don't know what I'm doing with this. Heck, I'm a digital tourist, for God's sake. So, anyway. So, the media are part and parcel of this whole uh, empowering of individuals well beyond the impact they should have. You know, I remember when Lenin compared himself, said he was more famous than Jesus, and that caused a lot of... You know, ironically, he became an example of the very phenomenon he's talking about. Everybody's burning his records down in the South. All the Southern Baptists who've now been revealed to be sexual predators, just like our Catholic clergy. But, uh, you know, he was right because there were more people around. And, you know, nobody outside of Jerusalem had ever heard, or Israel at least, had ever heard of Jesus when on the day he died, but now everybody's heard of him pretty much. But it took 2,000 years, or 1,500, or however you want to. These days, this shooting in Texas, some town I never heard of, never will probably ever go to, uh, famous previously as the birthplace of Matthew McConaughey, now has the whole country in turmoil about guns. So the media are amplifying the power of individuals who are, you know, it's and that's why these guys do it, by the way. They want their 15 minutes of fame, even if it's their last 15 minutes. You know, these I don't know if people are familiar with this, but there's, like, social media groups where all these kids, they call themselves incels because they are unable to find a partner for their reproductive purposes or recreational purposes and so they say well you know what i'm going to become a mass murderer and i'm going to succeed at that i'm going to get the most people 
It's sick. It's totally sick. And anybody who's in one of those groups, honestly, ought to be identified and taken into protective custody. Oh, wait, we can't do that because of Ken Kesey's one flew over the cuckoo's nest. We can't put these cuckoos in the nest where they belong. So we're just going to have to take the hits. Now, let me tell you something. It would be a lot easier to get a few nuts into the nut house than it would be to get 330 million guns out of the cold, dead hands of their owners. I mean, come on, let's wake up. You know, it's just on a cost-effectiveness basis. Anyway, so that was my thought today, and that's independent of any Tribune article or whatever. Just sitting around, taking dictation from God, as Mozart did. A flash of insight. Someday, maybe, we will return to common sense. But until, as a society, but until that time, you will have to come to the Nugent News Network to find it. So, um, let's roll through the remainder of the 2021 archive. And it includes uh, some Tribune uh, material. Let's make sure we're right now. 2022, I keep... Losing track of the year. That's not good. So now here's a cartoon that goes back. Uh, undated, though. It's a Dilbert. And Dogbert says, I started doing telemedicine in my spare time. And Dilbert asks, don't you need to be a doctor to do that? Dogbert says, technically, yes, but I found a workaround. Dilbert says, which is? I tell people I'm a doctor. Now that, boom, boom, boom. Now that happens. And today we've got a controversy about nurse practitioners and physician assistants versus, quote, real doctors with MD degrees and, you know, residencies and board certifications. And I do think that there's a legitimate argument that there's a quality difference. Not so much because of what uh, is taught in medical school. Not even so much about what's learned in residency, although there's that, but because of the caliber of people who go into medical school. Let's face it, they're a lot brighter, on average, or they were, than the people who become an MP or PA. Uh, the NPPA, the PA profession arose out of medics in Vietnam who wanted to practice and help doctors. Now they're given much more autonomy by managed care companies because they work cheaper. They make about 120000 a year versus a primary care physician who makes probably 50% more than that on average, maybe a little more. It depends on the region and the practice setting. But, I mean, I think, frankly, they're going to put primary care docs out of business for better or for worse. And if you want to be a physician and make a living as a physician, you're going to have to be a specialist of some sort. Like my retina guy, he sticks a needle in my eye every so often. He's going to have to do it again, I'm afraid. I said, are you running into any competition from NPs and PAs? He says, no, uh, nobody wants to do what I do. <laughs> if I miss by a millimeter, I, you're blind. And I'm like, well, that's reassuring. Now, here's another undated thing. Uh, oh, I guess maybe... No, not all of this is undated. 
politics do matter when it comes to friendships. I think the worst thing in the world is when you lose a friend over politics because politicians are not your friends. If you're losing a friend over Donald Trump or Joe Biden, you have made a serious error because they don't even know your name. And your friend is your friend. Or was. That's a great loss. And I've lost some acquaintances over that, but not any friends. And I don't plan on doing that. You know, There's been stress in relationships due to politics, but, you know, we have transcended that. And it's easier when people are in alignment with your politics. But, you know, even people who are absolutely 180 degrees opposed to me, I forgive them because they know not what they do. And they mean well. They feel They don't think, you know. They can defend their position with rhetoric, but uh, some of my best friends are are Bernie Sanders voters, you know. And I plan to keep them as my best friends, and I hope they feel the same way. Feel the same way. Uh, That's a Marshall Tucker lyric for those of you who are following along, trying to follow me along at home as I ramble. Now, uh, here's quotes from this article. Friendships are important in the provision of basic needs for contact, communication, and community. The three C's. I like it. Uh, Says Valerie Hill and Tennille, the captain and Tennille. No, it's just Tennille Nicole Allen in Hanging Out, the Psychology of Socializing. Developing and keeping healthy bonds, not only a boon to our psychological well-being, but also provides a long list of physical benefits, including, not incidentally, a longer life. Or, as Aristotle put it, the presence of friends then seems desirable in all circumstances. Now, in an upcoming episode, I stumbled across a reference in John Cass's Chicago Way podcast to uh, Aristotle's Ethics, the Nicomedian, I believe it is, version. And the reason it's called Nicomedian is because one of his students named Nicomedes or whatever, uh, actually, he took notes in the course and published them. It's like the guy in Paper Chase who wanted to publish his outline when he was an L1 at Harvard. So anyway, he did. And I don't know, you know, probably didn't have a copyright on it so many years ago. Anyway, he's been dead for, what, 2300 years so I just read the introduction to that book at least so I'm going to be talking about that at some point Uh, now let's see where we're at here people think politics is a separate superhuman thing but it's your morals in action that's right Um, and somebody That's in response to a spectacularly 21st century experience that Emily Hauser had, who wrote this article. I recently had a spectacularly 21st century experience. I tweeted about losing friends over politics, and it went viral. The tweet in question exploded not just across Twitter, but also on Facebook. Someone on here, I wrote, recently tweeted something about, I haven't lost friends over politics, I've lost friends over morals, and I can't stop thinking about it. People think politics is this separate superhuman thing, but it's your morals in action. Uh, Well, 
I don't know if I'd say that that's true, but it is mores and values and such. So, uh, the, the thing that people misunderstand is, I think people on both sides of the political aisle have the same ends in mind. You know, nobody wants people to be poor. Nobody wants people to be sick. Nobody wants people to suffer from violence. But it's, uh, honestly, in my case at least, I tend to be obviously conservative, but it's based on my understanding and my mental model of how the world works. And you can try to pretend that the laws of economics can be violated, uh, but they're just like the laws of physics. They can't be violated. And when you try to violate them, it may take a while, but they will end up ruining you. Look at the Soviet Union. It struggled on for, what, six decades, and then collapsed of its own weight. It just doesn't work. And you're not doing people any... You think you're trying to help people, the road to hell being paved with good intentions, and it just isn't going to work. Social justice... You know, you pay people to do nothing, they're going to do nothing. You let crime run rampant, people are going to kill each other, and they're killing each other. These are unsound methods. And if you don't understand how something works, you can't fix it. And I don't think that the progressives understand how the human mind works. And really, that's what we're trying to control here. Because the human mind is the emperor of organs. I think it lives in the brain. And the brain is the emperor of organs. That's You're playing with people's psychology, human psychology. And if you don't understand it, you can't possibly hope to improve it. So, anyway. I think that's a keeper, actually. So, we'll keep that. And we'll keep that Dilbert coming. So, now we move on to the ephemera of the day. Um, and this is from May 22nd. Don't be duped by replacement theory. Put race in its proper place. And this is from Clarence Page. And Page is a smart, insightful person. He's been with the trip for 40, 50 years. He says, my optimistic, my optimistic lesson from this big snafu is that we need to invest... A little less in race is a source of fears and anxieties. New generations are acting on their own to build healthy forms of identity. America's, and there's a missing period there, America's melting pot, or as I prefer to call it, mulligan stew, which is an Irish term. Uh, oh, no, wait. There's a missing colon. Demo demography is not destiny, at least not like it used to be, that's for sure. Still, we continue to be plagued by marketers of racial fears and anxieties for their own profit. Be cautious, but don't be duped. Diversity is our strength. Let's put race in its proper place. And that's the headline, actually. The headline is, don't be duped by replacement theory, put race in its proper place. And... I think race has no place, to be honest, because I went to that uh, Chicago Historical Society, I went to the exhibit, and they said there's no such thing as race. Race is a human construct. And, you know, I do think that there's differences in that can be stereotyped. Uh, 
based on like tribal genetic pools, like Bosnians act like Bosnians. I have a Bosnian working for me. Uh, Irish have particular genetic pool traits, you know, tend to be a lot of drunks. Um, and it's all nature and nurture, right? So, yeah, there are tendencies. And if you take people who were involuntarily brought over from uh, Africa, who had been living in a very friendly environment in a lot of ways, from a climate standpoint, uh, and you bring them to first to a southern environment and enslave them, and then you throw them by def- sort of it's not certainly anybody's fault, but they migrated up to a, a colder environment where, where it's tougher to live. And then you take away their means of income that brought them up here in the first place, which was the in- industrial aspects of, of America, of Chicago. And you turn it into a white collar environment where their skill sets are not matching up and socially they're not welcome in. Yeah, you're going to cause a major problem that leads to generational entrepreneurialism on the criminal side of the law and violence that comes with it. Much like Italians, much like Irish back in the 20s. We were talking about this the other day. Does that mean, though, that you should not enforce the laws to stop the violent outcomes and behaviors that come from that whole story? No. Should you try to fix the root causes? Yeah, but you can't do that unless you have a safety factor that allows businesses to come in and flourish in an environment where attitudes have changed and we don't have as much, you know, just color discrimination anymore. You know, we still have character discrimination. And the line, I almost put this on social media, but poor people tend to behave poorly. I mean, think about when we were poor (laughs) in college. We behaved poorly. As we became more prosperous, we became, you know, now we're all uh, haughty about morality and following the laws. But at the time, we 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 were a little hustlers. So, yeah, prosperity definitely leads to more civilized behavior and you climb up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So, yes, do we want prosperity? Absolutely. Is the way to do it with a guaranteed basic income of $500 a month? No. Let the free market create jobs. And racism is a form of inhibiting free trade. It's just like a tariff. It cuts the supply of labor while you still have the same demand for goods. And that creates a disequilibrium. So yes, we need to move beyond that. But meanwhile, we've got the legacy of it, and we cannot just waive the laws for fear of one incident like a George Floyd, you know, throwing the whole country into disarray. Can't do that. Ain't gonna work. Should the police... I read an article, actually, in The Economist about uh, New Mexico. They have these social types. You know, they're not, they're like peace officers versus police officers. And they don't have guns, and they just wear t-shirts with a little, you know, uh, civic logo. And they go out and they try to defuse domestics and 
pick the drunks up off the street. And the cops love that because it said 90% of the cops' time is not involved with violent crime. It's involved with cleaning up the human wreckage that we've got out there. They love delegating that. So this defund the police thing was bad rhetoric for something that actually makes sense. You could probably get a ton of people who want to take the job of going out and being helpers, you know, whatever you want to call them. Nobody wants to be a cop. So if you can, you know, fill the gap of police not retiring and not, not hiring and, and fill it with the, the do-gooder types, that's great. <clears throat> so anyway, that's my thought on that subject. But I have a lot of respect for Clarence Page. I'd like to meet the guy. He makes sense. Now, Steve Chapman occasionally makes sense. He's kind of 50-50. He says both political parties say they have the cure for inflation, and they're both wrong. Couldn't agree with you more, Steve. I generally think both political parties are wrong about almost everything, which is why I'm not a member of any. I'm going to vote in the Democratic primary. That doesn't make me a Democrat. I'm just trying to do damage control. The American two-party political system exists to ensure that for any problem that emerges, there are at least two solutions that are just plain wrong. What a great quote. That is the sad case with inflation, where the most notable responses span the spectrum from useless to harmful. (laughs) What an indictment. That's because... The political programs are not designed to solve the actual problem. They're designed to solve the political problem. And that is like, you know, invading Mexico to stop Al-Qaeda. Unreal. That's democracy for you, though. I don't know a better system, but there's dramatic faults with the one we've got. Big price increases, though painful, serve an important purpose, and this is the brilliance here. Matching demand with supply. When prices are held down by government mandate, people will want to buy more than suppliers can provide, which leads to shortages. Most parents would probably rather be able to get some formula at a high price than get none at a lower price, and this is the flaw of socialism and communism. Higher prices typically increase supply by spurring manufacturers to boost production. So you have temporary pain for permanent gain. And you have to be able to endure that temporary pain. Higher prices dampen demand by discouraging customers from hoarding. Inflation is not the product of a bunch of big corporations suddenly getting greedy and deciding to pad their bottom lines. They're always greedy and always eager to pad their bottom lines. It's the result of monetary and fiscal policies, which in the past year have stimulated consumers to spend more, even as various factors limit the availability of the things they want to buy. So, so look at it this way. Supply and demand drive the labor force, right? If I have demand for things then I become part of the supply chain in order to get paid for my value added, and then I can go out and purchase things. If you eliminate the supply side and just fuel demand, that's the formula for shortages, because nobody will work 
They don't have to go out and work. They get a check from the government. And so there's a, by definition, if you look at it as a balance sheet, you're creating a deficit of production and a surplus of consumption. That creates inflation. And the velocity of money increases because people don't have to go work eight hours a day, so they got nothing to do but sit around and buy stuff. Ugh. Economic illiteracy is the biggest problem we have in our politics today. And it, it transcends the whole public safety thing. You cannot have a vibrant economy if people are afraid to go out and work and buy. So it's all one thing, as Bill Clinton used to say. And then if people don't have jobs, they don't have health insurance, the whole thing. And then the politicians say, oh, well, we'll give them health insurance. And then we won't pay the doctors enough to want to provide care. So now you've got another imbalance on the supply-demand curve. It's that simple. Chapman, this is a brilliant column. Republicans have the virtue of understanding this basic reality. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said in March, this is exactly what Republicans said would happen when Democrats dumped trillions of dollars into printing and spending on on a partisan basis last year. But I told you so is not a solution, says Chapman. And if it, it would have been worse if the Republicans didn't weren't the party of no. The Republicans are the party of no because the things they're being asked to say yes to are ludicrous. They're simply ways to buy votes. And that's the flaw in the progressive posture. All they really want is power. And they're willing to pay for it because they're doing it with other people's money. And again, they don't have to earn the money. Another supply-demand imbalance. The biggest special interest group is the federal government, because they can print the stuff. You talk about money in politics, there's no more money in politics than progressive policies. Trillions of dollars. It makes the private sector look minuscule. It dwarfs the private sector. Now... Uh, let's see what else was in the trib, because the rest of this is the Leak magazine. Yeah, I guess that's all I kept. Maybe like that. Let's see how it goes. Now, this is the week from May 27th, and I'll just keep going until I run out of time. Or papers. Um, here's the wit and wisdom, the quotes. Remember to look up at the stars And not down at your feet. There's a typo in that, I think. Said Stephen Hawking. Copyright is for losers. Said Bansky in High Snobiety. And, you know, copyrights... If you copyright something today, good luck enforcing it. Ezra Solomon, an economist, the only function of economic forecasting is to make astrology look respectable, which is because you're trying to predict millions, trillions, or billions of of human behaviors. Nobody can predict that because people don't act rationally all the time. They act rationally some of the time. They act emotionally a lot of the time. And you never know which... And there's a, there's, a, there's a whole continuum of that. So you never know. It's like, a, it's like fire and a gasoline, you know. You never know when people are going to get totally emotional and act irrationally. 
And economists have to be psychologists and predictive psychologists. Good luck with that. Joan Didion says, We tell ourselves stories in order to live. We look for the sermon and the suicide. And that is why replacing our mythology with our science doesn't work. Because science can't tell us enough of a story to make any sense of life and to make it worth living. And why not? You know, when, if we would have stuck to what they taught us in grammar school, we would have had a lot less existential angst. But it became hard to do that with all the scientific attacks on religion. They haven't found anything better to replace it. Morality, that's what was lost, among other things. Now here's a quote from an unusual source. Former Kenyan President Jomo Kenyatta. Well, there you go. His name is after the country. Our children may learn about heroes of the past. Our task is to make ourselves architects of the future. I like that. And Martin Luther King, it's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. Well, AOC picked up on that and didn't give him any credit, I might add. It's a metaphor. It's like help yourself. We're all born without boots. Now, ominous new trends in COVID on a depressing note. No new cases are exceeding 90,000 a day hospitalizations have started to increase and are up more than 20% in two weeks. Infection by Omicron does not provide much cross-protection from other variants, and it's becoming likely even vaccinated people will get COVID two or three times a year. Most of America no longer cares. Biden's trying to get $10 billion in additional COVID aid, which I will immediately try to get my greedy little hands on. But I'm, I'm just living life normally. I think 90% of people are. I still see people walking around like in open air with masks, which, that's pointless. But obviously some people are still very paranoid about it, or conservative about it, let's say. And they may be, but I don't think you can dodge this forever. I think you, when your number's up, your number's up, and you hope you get a mild case and survive it, and get immunity against future cases. 52% poll watch, 52% of Americans agree that inflation is the most important issue facing the country, including 42% of Democrats, 65% of Republicans. 78% of Americans blame supply chain issues for inflation, which is pretty accurate, actually. I'm surprised at that. Usually the public doesn't have the slightest idea. 51% blame government spending, which is also correct. 32% blame wage increases, which is also part of it. And I get a note here I, even I can't read. Now this replacement theory, uh, which relates back to uh, the Clarence Page column, I mean, it's true that the previous waspy generation 
I mean, it's all, the replacement's almost complete, but that's America, right? I mean, it's like the neighbors in Chicago. One ethnicity or group of immigrants is always replaced by the next one, you know. And like you could give examples, South Shore is a classic, but Koreatown, you know, it happens. And then the displaced people end up going someplace that's actually better, you know, from a material point of view. So, uh, yeah, the demographics of the country are changing. Is that ominous? No, not really. Because we typically have been a melting pot. You know, the Irish now and the Italians and all the previous red-haired stepchildren are now mainstream and they're getting displaced. That's what happens. So do you want to get all Tucker Carlson about it and, you know, get your AK? No. Uh, You just need to accept that as the way America works, right? And every place works that way. Now, here's an article about Best Columns Europe and Croatia. We have a Croatian listener. Goran Vojkovic in the index. Victor Orban. Hungary tries to reopen an ancient wound. Victor Orban is an arrogant fool, according to Goran. The Hungarian prime minister blocking the EU's oil embargo against Russia, reviving is reviving centuries-old tensions with Croatia. Sanctions hurt landlocked countries by his that cannot import oil by tanker. If they hadn't taken it away from us, we would have a port. The Croatian coastline was once ruled by the Kingdom of Hungary, and Orban dreams of restoring his country's pre-World War I borders. Two years ago, he posted on Facebook a map of Hungary that includes part of Croatia and did it again Recently, Croatians have ignored the affront and have been living in peace with our Hungarian neighbors, shopping there and welcoming their tourists. I understand they welcome them with pretty high prices, though. We're not sure why Orban does not share our spirit. Perhaps he's too busy being Putin's poodle to remember this, but as a fellow EU member, Hungary is welcome to use our ports, railways, and pipelines. As Hungary pays for everything properly, their borrowing would even benefit us. While Russia Russia wages actual warfare in Europe, is it wise to start obsessing about an old uh, territorial claim? Hungary is getting, like, you know, glorified on Fox, I guess, which I don't watch. You know, free trade is the key to keeping things, keeping the peace. Now, here's an article on the... UK Boris's Empty Promises on Nuclear Power by Ben Marlowe on the Daily Telegraph. Uh, They want to expand nuclear power and lead the world by 2050. According to the author, that's pure fantasy. Thanks to our over-reliance on foreign partners, we can hardly maintain the existing capacity of our aging nuclear infrastructure, must less build anew. And that's like, again, free trade. You don't have to build your own. We've got companies here that can sell it to you. Under a 2015 deal struck by David Cameron, China agreed to help China as a quid pro quo 
for agreeing to be a minority partner to the French nuclear developer EDF, China's state-owned nuclear energy company would get to build and operate a third plant at Bradwell and C in Essex using its own untested technology. They should cancel that deal. Make a deal with the United States. That's terrible. I didn't I had no idea. That's not a keeper. Okay. Nearly 319,000 of the more than 1 million COVID deaths in the U.S. could have been prevented if all eligible adults had gotten vaccinated. So the anti-vax people are mass murderers as far as I'm concerned. Americans have spent more than $125 billion betting on sports and legal gambling companies in the four years since the Supreme Court opened the door for such outlets in all 50 states. And this is a Nugent Ventures aside. And by the way, I'm Funded now, Nugent Ventures is funded, and I tried to place my first trade, but it said you don't have enough funds, and I'm like, <laughs> so it must be some kind of a processing issue. But by the way, I'm going to ch- chair my first trade, although it has been placed. Northwest Bio, this is traded. I think it's NBIO is the symbol. This is traded over the counter. It's like a twenty, thirty year old company. They've got a treatment for the kind of brain cancer that killed Ted Kennedy. Very, very, very controversial trial, but they're going to be on the program and exhibiting at the American Society for Clinical Oncology. And if if you get good news, this could be huge. It trades at 68 cents on over-the-counter. So I am going in there and buying a thousand shares and that's going to cost me well maybe not a thousand shares i think a thousand shares would cost me a hundred shares would cost me what 68 bucks yeah so for 680 dollars i've got a thousand shares the downside is 68 cents the upside the stock is traded as much as 12 dollars. so this is my hot stock tip if i were you I would follow that trade, throw $1,000 at it. It could turn into $12,000 if it popped up. And if it busts completely, I doubt that it goes to zero. You know, there's probably, it's been at 68 cents for like a long time. So anyway, uh, there's some good clinical people involved with this research. I've, I've studied the the controversy and the people on the affirmative side are involved with the company, granted, but they're respected doctors, oncologists. So I'm betting on them versus there's a guy named Adam Forstein who's a political science major, but he's a big time columnist in the biotech space. He writes for STAT, which is well respected in the field. And he has a pretty good track record of debunking, you know, like fake stocks. I think he's barking up the wrong tree here, and I don't know why he's barking so loud, because it's a 68-cent over-the-counter stock. Who cares? You know? I think maybe he's just got his feet dug in on this, and he's wrong. So I'm betting against Adam, and I'm hoping to win. And I'm hoping to get my trade down here Tuesday, because Asco's in town on Thursday. It'll be interesting to see how many people come, by the way. It's an important meeting, so the crime thing, you know, 
we'll see if the oncologists are willing to brave the the reputational uh, cloud of Chicago. So anyway, but the, on an investment note, there's $125 billion being spent on legal gambling, and yet the stocks in that, like DraftKings, they don't seem to be trading well. So that's a sector some of you gamblers might want to look at. I mean, stock trading is gambling, let's face it. But it's gambling on companies, not like horses or athletes or something. Okay, back to abortion talking points. Pro-choice activists are taking the nation down a path of perdition, said Rich Lowry in the National Review, and sense that five conservative justices are maybe going to overturn Roe. Hundreds of protesters are outside their houses. Federal law prohibits that, and uh, the government doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. Now, the left could care less. Robin Abkarian in L.A. Times. If if Kavanaugh and Alito are slightly inconvenienced by hearing protesters, that's fine by me. And then she goes into the control our bodies argument. Says Jonah Goldberg in the dispatch, look, I think protests outside the justices' homes are grotesque. And then some pretty vitriolic rhetoric. The economic impact of unwanted births. Outlying abortion would impose a profound economic burden on women who are forced to carry unwanted pregnancies, said Juliana Goldman in Bloomberg. That's almost undeniable, yet Treasury Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen drew the wrath of the anti-abortion right when she said that. Research backs her up, said Sarah Jones in New York Magazine. There's a turnaway study. thousand women who sought abortions were denied, much more likely to carry debt, be evicted, and declare bankruptcy. Arguing in favor of a great evil, here's the contra in the New York Times, Matthew Walther, New York Times. Arguing in favor of a great evil because it saves money is grotesque. So again, this is a moral difference. Is it immoral to terminate a pregnancy or is it immoral to force a woman to carry to term? That's the question. Does our society really want to embrace the idea that only happy lives are worth saving? Celebrating abortion's cost-saving upside evokes the Confederates who settled on an economic argument to defend slavery. Termination of an estimated 63 million pregnancies since Roe hurt our overall economy by artificially constricting the growth of the workforce. That's arguable. Fewer young workers reduced economic output and made it much harder to cover entitlements for seniors. Well, so did birth control, you know. I mean, so did me not having kids. So there's holes in both of those arguments, I think. And we have no idea. You know, abstinence actually does the same thing. Um, And birth control does the same thing. And we have no idea how many illegal abortions there were before Roe. So... And then how many women died having those, you know, you can play those games forever. Ultimately, it's a moral question that does not lend itself to logical arguments. Logic just is in service of morals there. Okay. Pro-choice protests, J.B. Pritzker. There were only 1,000 demonstrators at this rally. There were 450 of them over the 
across the country that drew tens of thousands of people on a national basis. And JB is firmly in the abortion is a human right camp. And again, that's debatable, I guess, which is what we're debating. Uh, trans health care. A federal judge in my blocked Alabama's first-in-the-nation law restricting gender-affirming treatment for minors, saying it would cause severe physical or psychological harm to trans youth and their families and violate their constitutional right. A week earlier, Alabama became the first state to make prescribing puberty blockers and hormones a felony. Felony? Wow. Uh, Judge Lyles Burke, Lillis? Lyles? L-I-L-E-S. A Trump appointee said parents have a fundamental right to direct the medical care of their children. Discrimination based on gender nonconformity equates to sex discrimination. He lets stand the part of the law requiring schools to tell parents about any information regarding their child's gender identity. I don't know. That's a very, very small number of people who fall into that. Unlike the whole abortion issue, pro-life, pro-choice, that affects a lot more people. Okay... I don't think I'm going to get into this. And I don't think I'm going to get into this. The sound you hear is crumpling paper. Nothing worth saving there. Okay, the baby formula, how the shortage was born. And this is an astonishing story. Jim Garrity in the National Press, and David Dayen, D-A-Y-E-N, and Prospect. Half of all formula sales go through a federal program called Women, Infants, and Children, which provides vouchers to low-income families. Abbott and other big producers offer massive discounts to become the chosen suppliers, which has resulted in massive market concentration. As of 2018, Abbott and three other companies control 89% of the U.S. market, and then the government goes in and shoots, shuts down the Abbott plant because they've discovered bacteria, not in the formula, but in the plant. Well, I mean, good luck with trying to kill every bacterium in a plant. The most important part of the story is America's protectionist policies. Again, it's all free trade. Most of the formula made in the EU is illegal to buy here, even though it is just as nutritious, if not better, than our stuff. Foreign-made formula that does meet FDA requirements is slapped with big tariffs. So this is a bipartisan foobar, you know? Trump with his tariffs, and uh, it, it's just, it makes you sick to your stomach. And I need, a, I need some formula. <laughs> I'm going into my fetal position. Uh, there are obvious fixes, says Scott Lincecum in thedispatch.com. The federal government should immediately eliminate barriers to imported infant formula. As it was, they had to fly a jet over, military jet, to get some. Let the private sector bring it over for you guys. It's a lot cheaper so that Americans can always buy it from other well-regulated countries. If it's good enough for Europe, Canada, Australia, and the like, it's good enough for us. 
and WIC vouchers should be valid for all formula brands, not just the chosen few. These changes won't put formula on American store shelves tomorrow, but they may at least help prevent the nightmare from happening again. And that's just, everybody gets it except the populists. Okay, only in America. Five black students are suing a Georgia high school for racial discrimination, alleging that white students reenacted George Floyd's death wear Confederate symbols and refer to them as slaves in the N-word. The the plaintiffs say officials at Cusa High School in Rome, Rome? Rome, Georgia, who deny any wrongdoing, ignored these incidents, suspended black students for a silent protest, and forbade them from wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. Well, the South. Representative Tony Cardenas Democrat of California has used campaign funds to pay his wife's businesses $424,000 over the past eight years, the Daily Beast reports. His campaign pays his wellness facilitator wife, Norma, $4,400 every month as a consultant. She claims expertise in hypnotherapy, life coaching, and primordial sound meditation. Gotta try that. Well, well, well. Isn't that funny that Democratic politicians are the same self-dealing criminals, to use a polite word, as their Republican colleagues? Border walls. After border officials discovered yet another secret 600-yard tunnel, bad week for border walls, it says. After border officials discovered yet another secret 600-yard tunnel, from Tijuana to San Diego, equipped with rail and ventilation systems. It's like the great escape. They probably watched the movie. Electricity and reinforced walls. So yes, physical barriers, as Patton said, are a monument to the stupidity of man. I think probably what we need here is more legal immigration. So you could just vet these folks who want to come in here. Let's go back to Ellis Island. The more Americans we have, the better. Because they add demand as well as supply, right? And that's okay. Price gouging. After a coffee bar in Florence was fined a thousand euros for charging two euros for a cup of espresso. That's another, you know, constraint on free trade. It's there's an easy pattern here. Alessandro Serrani, the head of the local business association, said a fine espresso is hard work and that the fine is something that deeply embitters me. What, are you going to control the price of espresso? Insane. That's why all these price gouging taxes are crazy. Now here's one about Graham Nash. I know we have a lot of music fans on the podcast, in the podcast audience. Graham Nash is still passionate about sex, drugs, and rock and roll at age 80. That's what my life was and is. (laughs) Sex did as much to launch a career that spanned more than six decades and two Rock and Roll Hall of Fame introductions as a member of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and The Hollies. Growing up in England, he found that once I could play three chords on a guitar, my attractiveness to the ladies went up sky high. I was like, oh, I see. When The Hollies hit the charts, opportunity abounded, and he indulged heavily in both the sex and drug-fueled partying 
a lifestyle he figures social media has ruined for today's rock stars. There's no privacy anymore, and once it's on the net, it will never leave. And that's terrifying because we've all done incredibly stupid things. Today he's married to a woman 37 years younger than him and crowed in a 2018 interview that his sex life was insane. It's better than ever than it's ever been. Jeez. He's also still rocking, both touring and recording. Marijuana remains a daily habit, one he credits for changing my life completely and allowing him to focus on life's bright side. I'm trying to live the best life I can, which is Aristotelian. And I want to do that until they close the coffin. That's a good quote. I don't necessarily recommend what he's doing, although I would have certainly been delighted to follow his example when I was in college. But, you know, as I grew older, I changed, particularly in the drug thing. I mean, I used to indulge in... Then I got to the point where it made me paranoid. Every time I tried it, I'd go into the emergency room thinking I was having a stroke. Well, that was no fun. Just the opposite. So. No more smoky for me. I was more in the Ringo Starr, no, 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 I don't smoke it no more camp. And I'm not going to go into this one. Now, this is sad. Country music legend Naomi Judd used a firearm to take her own life last month. She died a day before she and her daughter Winona were set to enter the Country Music Hall of Fame as the duo The the Judge. The Judds. Our mother couldn't hang on until she was inducted. That's the level of catastrophe of what was going on inside her. Now those are, you know, I honestly, I would understand a lot of people committing suicide, including myself for that matter, but, you know, why would she want to do that? 76 years old, I mean, the Grim Reaper's on the way anyway, folks, and you're about to get an honor of a lifetime? I don't understand that. And one of the Pritzker girls committed suicide. Young kid. Richer than hell. I mean, I I don't mean to sound unsympathetic or lack, lacking in empathy, but, man, I just don't understand it, literally. If I had a ton of money, I cannot imagine being suicidal. You know? <laughs> I guess that shows my priorities. Okay, the tragedy in Buffalo, which is last week's tragedy. Now we have this week's tragedy. This is this nut who went out and killed 10 black people. for The, re- the only reason was because they were black. This is a replacement theory problem. The Wall Street Journal editorial page, no doubt. Democrats' transparently political effort to blame this tragedy on Republicans is despicable. They cast as racist anyone opposed to open borders or critical race theory at the Democratic Party's hyper-race consciousness, and now they've gone a step further and suggest that Republicans are accomplices in racially motivated domestic terrorism. Exploiting this tragedy is apparently the best strategy Democrats have to hang on to power in an election year. And they don't have an answer for these 
crimes. Now, the one was Hispanic on Hispanic, largely. And then this one was white on black. But it's the same young, nutty kids who are becoming mass murderers. In not big numbers, but, you know, news-dominating incidents. I mean, we have more people probably shot dead every weekend in Chicago than either one of these incidents. Or at least in a month. Only one person is to blame for the Buffalo Massacre, said Dan McLaughlin in National Review, and that's the shooter himself. In an open society with free speech, a small minority are apt to turn any particular species of angry nonsense into violence. In his manifesto, the shooter never mentions Tucker Carlson, expresses his hatred for Fox, and calls modern conservatism corporatism in disguise, which I hear from the left. A two-year-old Jack Russell, this was, it wasn't all bad. A two-year-old Jack Russell Terrier has been awarded state honors from Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky for his role in identifying 200 Russian explosives. Patron, whose name translates to ammo in Ukrainian, (laughs) barked and wagged his tail at the award ceremony, which was attended by Canada's Justin Trudeau. With a protective vest to keep him safe, ha-ha, Patron identifies hidden mines by sniffing for gunpowder. He has also become an unofficial Ukrainian mascot during the war, serving as inspiration for fan art and a popular Instagram page. Despite his newfound fame, the terrier still finds time to play with other canines, sleep, and chew on his favorite snack, cheese. <laughs> I'm, that's a keeper, folks, as an ex-dog owner. I've grown quite fond of dogs. And it's easier. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, because Louie used to bite me almost on a daily basis. Now I only remember the good things. And I miss Louie. I do. I miss him more as time goes by. The meaning of historic drop. What the experts say under making money. It's been the worst year for the bond market since 1842. And you can get your face ripped off in bonds. Dan Keegan taught me that. You think they're safe, they're not. That's not a typo. Not since the bottom of a pre-Civil War depression has the broad bond market performed worse in a complete year than what happened so far in 2022. Inflation is like kryptonite for bonds, whose interest payments are fixed and thus can't grow to keep pace with rises in the cost of living. As a result, prices for bonds have fallen 10% this year. But many investors may be too pessimistic. The intricate math of bonds means that yields rise as prices fall, and some yields are currently brushing their highest levels in years. Over the long run, the total return of bonds depends far more on their income than on changes in a price. And if you buy those bonds now, you've got, you know, the the yield is self-adjusting. So basically, the issue is kind of like an option. Uh, the issue is the price you paid, not the coupon rate, which is the dividend it pays, because you can buy them at discount, and then that is what uh, adjusts for current inflation and current uh, internal rates of return. So, and if you hold them until X, until they're redeemed, until redemption, you know, interest rates might be back down. So it's a dynamic. It is kind of like an option when you think about it. At least to this reporter. 
Uh, crypto got whacked here. And with that, I think we're about to run out of time. So I will, but I am still a crypto bear. Uh, or just a crypto stay away. I have no idea how to value crypto. And I don't think anybody else does either. It basically trades with the NASDAQ. Okay, that's it. Be back later. Um, live long, prosper. Stay safe.